And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is the president of Frontline Fellowship, Dr. Peter Hammond. And Peter, it's a great honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Although we don't have a president, I'm just the director of our mission. Director. (laughs) Thank you. I am on your mailing list, and the other day, a very, very important subject came across. The subject was the Fifth Commandment, honor your parents. And so I'm wondering if you can just take it from there and tell us what's on your heart, Peter. And uh, it's a message that we here in the States need to hear. It it certainly is. And uh, I've been so struck by it. I've been convicted over and over. Uh, The scripture is so clear. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And it's the first of the commandments that comes with a promise that your day may be, be long in the land. And the moment you start to bring up honoring your parents, somebody's going to say, but surely this commandment does not apply to me because my parents were horrible. They abused me when I was growing up. And surely God cannot expect me to honor mm-hmm. bad parents. Well, actually, yes, God does require us to honor our parents no matter how badly they may have behaved. For example... In Genesis 8 to 9, we have the example of men who honored a parent who was actually behaving badly at that moment. Soon after the flood, Noah planted a vineyard, and when the grapes already made wine, and he got so drunk that he passed out. I can imagine the trauma of the of everything leading up to preparing for the flood and building the ark and stocking and preparing it. And Noah has not his best day. I mean, it, it, it's, it's bad. It's shameful. He's in a shameful condition when Ham saw him. And Ham immediately went out, the Bible says, and told his two brothers. But Shem and Japheth honored Noah by taking a blanket and walking backwards into their father's tent to cover him up. And the scripture informs us that Ham and his descendants were cursed for failing to honor their father, even though Noah's behavior at the time was actually dishonorable. But the relatives of Shem and Japheth were blessed by God because of how they honored their father. And so those people today, and I've seen it a lot in America where you get these so-called Christians writing tell-all books which put their famous parents in a bad light, they're actually disgracing themselves and they're dishonoring God. Right. And Dr. James Kennedy observed that in his decades of ministry, he'd seen many people fired. performance was really the reason for them being fired. He said in most cases, the problem was the attitude, the attitude of rebellion. And uh, he said this rebellion against authority is why most people in his experience got fired and he said because they never learned respect for authority at home and they may say why has my life been miserable why have i been so much trouble in so many different areas well it's because they never learned to honor their father and their mother Mm -hmm. they have no respect for authority and they're not thankful for anything and uh, they ultimately bring nations to ruin and then james kindy gave a whole lot of examples Persia became the second of the great world empires because Persians trained their children to be obedient. But eventually things changed because the Persians grew wealthy, which brought about a relaxed discipline, which led to sin, which led to the downfall of the nation. Then came the Greeks, whose discipline was legendary. The Spartans were so strict that when a young man entered the army, he was given a shield and told, come back with it or on it, but do not drop your shield, do not flee and do not surrender. Either fight till you die or until you gain victory. And thus it was that just 300 Spartan soldiers were able to hold the line against hundreds of thousands of the Persian enemy at the Battle of Thermopylae. But later the Greeks became self-satisfied. 
they failed to train their children in the importance of honoring their parents and authority, and they faded into history. The Roman Empire rose due principally to patria potestas, the absolute total rule of the father over the son, which was enforced as long as the father and son should live. Age was no limit to this, but the iron discipline that enabled the Romans to conquer the whole world later was relaxed, like with the Greeks and the Persians before them, and respect for parents disappeared, and monsters like Nero murdered his own mother. Rome was swallowed up by God's judgment in history. And uh, I've seen in, in my own life, uh, shortly after I, after I was converted, uh, the night I surrendered my life to Christ, my first sin was to dishonor my parents. It was 3rd of April 1977. I, I just attended an evangelistic rally at a cinema in Cape Town. And as the preacher proclaimed what Christ had done for me, he asked the question, what have you ever done for Christ? Mm. And I was stunned and I was ashamed because up to that point, I'd done nothing for God. My family was secular. We'd never attended church. I'd never gone to Sunday school. And we didn't pray before meals. Like my father, I described myself as agnostic. But all my arguments that I'd picked up against God and Christianity just seemed puny, and I bowed before the, the Lord, the Creator. And I surrendered my life to the Lord. And, and they were singing just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me as I walked down the aisle and I bowed in prayer at the front of the cinema. And it was the most exhilarating experience, and I had no doubt whatsoever God was reaching down to me and putting life within me. I'd been deaf, dumb, blind, dead in my trespass and sins. And for the first time, a spiritual life, my life was awakened, my eyes were opened, and I could consciously sense the presence of God for the first time in my life, and I was overwhelmed. But as I went home, uh, somebody had got there before me, and uh, uh, they greeted me with jeers and scorn, and, oh, so you've become a born-again Baptist like Jimmy Carter. And that stung. <laughs> I was a patriotic Rhodesian. I despised everything Jimmy Carter was doing in betraying our country and so many other countries in the hands of Marxist revolutionaries. And, and to me, Carter was epitome of hypocrisy and a traitor. And, and shamefully, I lashed back with a razor-sharp tongue, defending my conversion, dissociating with anything to do with Carter and all that. And like my parents, I was argumentative and I rose to the challenge with verbal aggression. And so later that night, as for the first time in my life, I bowed at the side of my bed in prayer. I was ashamed that the first witness I'd given my parents was to dishonor them and to argue. And I, I remember feeling this absolute despair at the simple desire to justify myself rising so quickly out of a heart that it, at that very hour given his life to Christ. And I, I didn't have a Bible, but I knew I'd sinned against the Lord in my mm. attitude and my actions towards my parents. And, and the Lord convicted me of this. And, and later with my pastor, the pastor I was converted under, Within a year of my conversion, I was dishonoring and criticizing the pastor under whom I'd been converted and discipled. And uh, I had uh, gotten caught up in a whole lot of Pentecostalism, and the pastor preached against it from the pulpit, and I'd started having a ministry of criticism and backstabbing, and with the youth group, we were just having roast pasta for lunch and tea and everything. And, and I remember when the Lord brought this conviction from the scripture, obey those who rule over you, be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Hebrews 13, 17. And I realized that I was dishonoring God and I was disgracing myself by being such a critic and being so negative to the pastor. And you know, the extraordinary thing is after repenting, it came clear to me the pastor had done nothing wrong. 
the problem was me. My attitude was foul and poisonous, and I was poisoning a whole youth group against the pastor. And and we thought we were so spiritual, and we were we thought we were so much better than him, and we were so blinded. And I've never forgotten how blinded I was in how critical I could be towards the pastor of the church. And you know, I did not see all the great things he did, and he sacrificed. What a great past he was and how much he was investing in people's lives and mine I didn't see it until I repented and then I saw how self-deceived I was and I've seen this in many different areas in, in life uh, how uh, we, if we choose the path of sin we, we become uh, easily self-deluded and, and there's a strong delusion that comes upon those in sin so you cannot even see your sin and you're so self-justifying of your own sin and it's so important to take the scriptures as their word and repent. And when we do, it's like the shackles and the blinkers fall off and we can suddenly see. We can see ourselves in the loathsomeness of our selfish, self-serving, self-justifying criticism of others. And, and it's vile. And I think it really starts with honoring our parents. And uh, the scriptures make clear that when you're talking about honoring your parents, it's not just talking about your, your genetic parents or the parents who adopted you. Uh, in fact, the Puritans uh, expounded on this, said there's five categories of parents that you need to honor. There's your political fathers, your ancient fathers, your spiritual fathers, your domestic fathers, and your natural fathers. So this is 16th century terminology, Thomas Watson, for example. So by political fathers, he means the kings, the princes, the governors, the mayors, the municipal, provincial, the national leaders, that they are our political fathers that we should honor. Then there's our ancient fathers. That's our fathers in the faith, either biblical times or in church history, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, David, Elijah, the apostles, Peter and John, and the early church fathers like Polycarp and Tertullian, Augustine, and the missionaries, Patrick and William Carey and David Livingston, and the reformers, John Wycliffe and Jan Hus and Martin Luther and William Tyndale, Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin, John Knox, the great evangelists, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and Andrew Murray and Charles Spurgeon. So these are some of our ancient fathers we should be honoring. And then these spiritual fathers. And in my life, that included Reverend Doc Watson, my pastor under whom I was discipled, and Francis Grimm, the head of Hospital Christian Fellowship, the mission I trained under, and Dr. Fritz House, my Old Testament lecturer at college, and other key spiritual fathers in my life. And, and then by domestic fathers, he meant our employers, our teachers, our coach, or our boss, well in Military, this meant my sergeant major and commanding officer. And then, of course, your natural fathers, which includes not only your own parents, but your grandparents and uncles and aunts. So it's so important that we learn to respect the different authorities in our lives. And it's shocking to travel around, and I've traveled in over 37 countries, and to see many places where there's no respect for parents. And I must say, some of the worst I've seen is in the United States of America, where you can see children literally shouting at their parents or kicking the parents in the shin to get his attention and uh, throwing th a tantrum, throwing things around the room, um, you know, hideous things. Now, fortunately, that's a, that's a minority of places I've been to. I generally go to home educating families where, where you don't tend to get that problem. But <laughs> I've also been in other churches where you can see that there's a disastrous uh, lack of respect for, for elders. Well, that's a... Uh, that's, uh very important thing that you've shared here, uh, Peter. In your note, um, prior to talking about 
the different kinds of parents, the categories, the five categories, as you put it. Uh, you also mentioned uh, a story from Grimm's Fairy Tales. And I'm wondering if you can recount that to our listeners. Uh, again, today we're talking about honoring our father and mother, that our days may be long upon the land which the Lord our God gives to us. So, Peter, maybe you can talk about that fairy tale. Yes, in Grimm's fairy tales, there's this story. Once there was an old man whose eyes blinked continually and whose hands trembled uncontrollably. And as he had no place to live, he moved in with his son's family. His daughter-in-law hated it when at the dinner table he constantly rattled his silverware and spilled his drinks. In anger and exasperation, she insisted he eat his meals alone in a corner, separated from the rest of the family. He began to eat alone, looking occasionally at the family alone in the corner, separate from the rest of the family. And he, one day, when his hands were shaking so much, he knocked his bowl onto the floor, his meal spilt onto the carpet. The daughter-in-law screamed, if you're going to eat like a pig, we'll feed you like a pig. And she placed a wooden trough on the floor and told him he'd have to eat out of the trough like an animal. And this he did. Some days later, the woman's young son came and I was excited to show her something he had made. Look, mummy, I've made a trough to feed you and daddy out of when I get big. The woman began to cry as she realized what a terrible evil she was guilty of. And from that day forward, the old man ate his meals at the table with the rest of the family and with his daughter-in-law. And she did everything she could to make up for the cruel way that she had treated her father-in-law. And in so many ways, we see cruel disrespect for elderly parents who frequently abandoned in old age homes and neglected. One of the first ministries I had was preaching in old age homes, and many complained to me that they never had visits from their children. And Proverbs 23 verse 22 says, listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Well, that's a that's a beautiful uh, uh, story, and it and it captures how important it is to treat our elders, especially our parents, with respect. And it is easy to get frustrated with them. Um, they will, even as this um, Grimm's fairy tale uh, recounts, they will um, uh, spill food. Um, they may choke and spit up and all of that, but. They're still our parents, and so we, we must we must honor them. We have maybe uh, 10 minutes left to our interview today. We're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, the director of Frontline Fellowship. And Peter, what else would you like to say about honoring our parents? Uh, I take it that you've seen cases where people have honored their parents and God's blessing has ensued. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Indeed, there's so much to learn from my parents, just for starters. Now, when I became a parent, and I've got four children now, uh, we've homeschooled and uh, all grown up, and I I must say, only when I became a parent did I actually begin to appreciate what my parents had suffered and sacrificed for (laughs) me. And, uh, you know, you just don't tend to understand until (laughs) you are a parent and you realize, boy, did my parents have so many sleepless nights and you know, the, the heartache of a parent when your child is sick and uh, the, the, uh, uh, how many different things that we went through uh, with our child with kidney failure at birth and in the ICU wards and all the different traumas that you can go through with children. And you realize this, there's no pain like that of the pain of a parent for a child who's suffering. And, and, and then I realized how much my parents had gone through for me. 
Uh, and at that point, uh, I was ashamed at how I'd often taken my parents for granted and how I'd, I'd not honored them. And so um, as I started missions, I remember um, on one early mission, I missed Christmas with my parents, December 1983. I was on a mission to Mozambique and Zimbabwe. And I later felt convicted that I should have arranged my mission schedule to ensure that my parents were not alone. There was nobody of the family with my parents that Christmas. And after that, I never again missed celebrating the incarnation of Christ with, with my parents. And and uh, I, I tried to make up for it in later years of not arguing with my parents and being respectful and honoring. And in time, my father came to the Lord. It took eight years, but he came to the Lord. Oh, yeah. My mother came to the Lord. Uh, that was a long, hard one. My parents went through the Second World War. They were quite hardened and and a very uh, bitter because of what they'd suffered in the Second World War in different ways. And uh, uh, that's why they moved to Africa, in fact, was to get away from, from what they'd experienced in Europe. Yeah. And so um, I, I remember uh, how hard it was to convince them of any biblical truth. But in time, my father came to the Lord my mother came to the Lord. She lost her leg. She was invalided. She lost her, her work and home and so on. We built a place in our home, I built her cottage, housed her. And what a joy and privilege to have my mother for the last three and a half years of her life staying in a home. She is involved in the education of her children. She got involved in our mission, joined us for family devotion, Sunday worship. And I saw my mother thoroughly converted. And then working with my sisters, uh, who are both older than me, I'm the youngest in my family, and um, my nephew and, and his wife and, and children and seeing them come to the Lord. And, um, there's no doubt that family is your hardest mission field. It's a, it's a tough field. But we must honor our parents. And it's been a tremendous privilege. And for me also, honoring my spiritual fathers, I came to realize, you know, the people that invested me, I hadn't really expressed enough gratitude to them. So I, I then started writing letters to different uh, leaders like Francis Grimm of the Hospital Christian Fellowship under whom I'd been mentored. And I dedicated my uh, first book in the Killing Fields of Mozambique to him because I'd actually undertake my first mission in Mozambique while under his uh, leadership. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Fritz Haus, who had first introduced me to the doctrines of the Reformation while as a theological student at Baptist Theological College, I requested him to write the foreword for my 20th century Reformation book. I made him an honored guest speaker at many of our meetings and the launch of the book and uh, put him on the board of Frontline Fellowship and he became a key guest speaker at a Biblical Worldly Summit in our mission house, and I dedicated our Old Testament survey to him. He became such a vital friend of our mission and, and counselor. We were enriched, and it started with me just thanking him for what he had done in my life. And Reverend Olo Stegen, another spiritual father, a missionary to Zuland, I've dedicated books to him, and he's written forwards for several. And I, I've, I've seen how important it is that, that we honour our father. So, in our mission, for example, our William Carey Bible Institute is named after the father of modern missions. Our mission headquarters is named Livingston House after the great Scottish missionary pioneer David Livingston, mm-hmm. who opened up for the gospel. And and then I saw the need to honor our fathers in the faith by writing books like The Greatest Century of Missions with 19 biographies and 19 greatest missionaries of the 19th century, and The Greatest Century Reformation and Victorious Christians Have Changed the World and Sketches from South African History. So I've been writing more and more and doing more lectures and presentations. Even yesterday we had Home uh, Educators uh, Day where bring people in to teach them on examples of excellence from our history. So to me, I felt the need to teach respect for our elders and our fathers and our faith and, and all of the... We are all beneficiaries. 
every one of us benefits from those who've suffered and sacrificed before. Amen. Through the faith and also the inventions and developments of medicine and so many things and an attitude of gratitude. I, I love it that America's got a Thanksgiving a holiday. What a wonderful yes. idea. We need an attitude of thanksgiving. This is the will of God, that we are joyful always, that we pray continually, and that we give thanks in all circumstances. Amen. Amen. Now, um, Peter, I, I know that um, you have, uh, the Lord has used you in these various missionary endeavors, and it, it's a huge undertaking that you and your family and now your board at Frontline have, have undertaken. Um, but I also uh, did a quick search online, and I realized, wow, they're really, really uh, short on funds. And we don't usually do this in an interview, but I feel that uh, your ministry is just so vital, and you're doing something there uh, in the great um, continent of Africa that we could never do. Uh, if someone would like to support your mission... How would they go about doing that? Well, yes, uh, visit www.frontlinemissionsa.org. You'll see on our website and, uh, or in our publication, we don't make appeals for funds. We, we, we are a faith mission. We try to honor Hudson Taylor's principle that God's work done God's way will not lack God's supply. God's servant is God's responsibility. So we have never taken up an offering. Uh, with the 50-odd different books I've authored, I've never taken up royalties Everything gets plowed back into the mission. Mm. And uh, our, our mission, uh, we, we want to be focused on God's work. So I've actually been in quite a few churches where people have made a comment to me and said, you know, you're the first missionary we've had here who's never mentioned money. <laughs> and, uh, well, of course, I don't because I, I, I want people to, to be ministered to by the Word of God, and I want to meet their needs. And that's the thing. Focus on God's work and let him, him uh, worry about, about your needs. But our, our mission um, as a faith mission is – is obviously needing funds to print the books we need to uh, to do the missions, and we actually don't even have the funds to to uh, meet our end of the month commitments. And we've got a major mission planned to seven countries, going as far as Zambia, Zimbabwe, and Tanzania, and Malawi, and so on. And the the team's ready. Uh, we're getting things printed, but but the fuel and you know the cost of fuel's been oh, skyrocketing yeah. over recent years. So we, we send our teams out for longer that we get more ministry for, for less fuel. Uh, we, we consolidate things. It means people away from home for longer, but, but it, it's good and, and it's, it's uh, uh, really solidifying. But the thing is, uh, although we do everything we can to save funds and to be as cost-effective and minister as much as we can, our teams take trailers. We've got over two tons of Bibles and books we distribute in any given <laughs> mission to the field. And, uh, uh, but uh, we do need uh, funds for, for the upcoming printing and petrol, uh, fuel to, to get our teams to the field. Uh, so um, if people uh, want to uh, contact the mission, it's admin at frontline.org.za. Frontline.org.za is the um, email admin at frontline.org.za or the website frontlinemissionsa.org. And uh, we would be grateful for anything anyone can do. We certainly need prayers and uh, obviously – we always need people. We need volunteers because the harvest is very large and the workers are very few. Uh, I average about 400 meetings a year. Uh, that's um, all kinds of meetings, including lectures and seminars and conferences and church services. And uh, we are doing a lot of missions each year. I do anything from six to eight missions uh, uh, in the field a year. And that could mean being in the field for uh, anything from two or three to four weeks 
um, traveling to multiple countries, and we consolidated a lot. So the last mission I just came back from, I think we did over 70 meetings in, in one mission, and that was covering uh, uh, something in the region of 3,000 miles of driving. Well, that's a, that's amazing, and the Lord is using you um, for the U.S. listeners to the broadcast today. Um, I found a, I know that Peter doesn't want to share this, but I I will. Um, the address for U.S. is Frontline Fellowship USA, Post Office Box seven two eight, Manitou Springs, Colorado, eight zero eight two nine, and uh, we'll put that on our website. Um, if someone wants to support your mission work there, it's a, it's a very viable, good work. And uh, Peter has been accountable by placing trusted men uh, in positions of, of care. And so there's, there's complete accountability. And I'm impressed, Peter, because I believe it's appropriate to be optimistic about the Great Commission, the spread of the gospel, that King Jesus is winning souls to himself and setting up his cross over the people. And I know that that's what you believe. So, Peter, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. Really praise God for Redeemer Broadcasting. Thank you for your concern and for your prayers. Amen. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Lead on, O King Eternal We follow breaks like morning where'er thy face appears let your kingdom come and your will be done right here on the earth like it is Oh God of mine